I ask Holy Spirit now for, the, for your uh, spirit of wisdom and revelation to be released in the knowledge of Jesus today. Lord, as the church is built on the rock of the revelation of who Jesus is, Lord, I pray today that we would be more firmly grounded and rooted, building our lives today more on the rock than we were and have yesterday. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, if you don't have the notes, we have, I have notes for you to help, help you follow along. If you uh, don't want one of the ones that wants to look at them during a, a message, you can certainly take them home and study them out. Um, but I wanted to share something that uh, really impacted me back when uh, I was in Israel a few weeks ago. Uh, we were blessed to be able to take uh, a, a leader in Israel among the Messianic Jews in the, in the land. His name's Asher Intrader, and uh, very special. We support his ministry, Revive Israel and Tikkun Ministries. And in fact, it's interesting. I've been saying since January that this year was to be a year of alignment. I felt the Lord spoke that last uh, Christmas time around November, December, and then, lo and behold, I go through my unorganized pile of books in my office, and I find this book called Alignment. I said it's going to be a year of alignment, and then I realize, wait, there's a book that I've never opened, but it's called Alignment by Asher Intrader. And so we've been looking at this year, the Lord giving us strength and ability to align our hearts more with his word, with his heart, to align our hearts with his purposes and his passions. And so we were able to, to take, Suzanne and I and Frank and Norma Parrott, we were able to drive Asher to a national youth conference in Netanya, which given the traffic that day was about a two-hour drive from Jerusalem. Now you can start showing these pictures. This is a national youth conference uh, where there were 150. You say, well, that wasn't very many, but in Israel, believe me, that's a lot of youth. 150 young people, teenagers, and it was made up of Jews, Arabs, Muslims, and 30 Palestinian unbelieving lost teenagers from the Gaza Strip. That was the mixture that, we, that Asher spoke to. Now, what would you preach to an audience like that? Jews, Muslims who historically hate each other, kill each other, you know, try to do terrorist, uh, terrorist attacks against the Jewish people by, by those Palestinians. What would you preach? Well, the message Asher preached, I'm not exaggerating, brought a 95% response by all the young people in that room. They crowded the altar, 95% giving their lives coming into a real relationship with Jesus or committing their lives back to Jesus. So I was thinking, whatever he preached, that's probably some good stuff. <laughs> so I kind of made my own out of the points he was making. And I want to share this message today because first, I think it's powerful for us. I think it impacted them. If it impacted them, it'll probably impact us. At least I'm believing and praying it will. Second, I believe that it's going to um, help us to see and understand what's behind anti-Semitism today, what's behind so much evil in the world, so we can know what to do. It's actually a very, third, it's actually a very foundational message. I want to talk about the spiritual battle that has gone on throughout the Bible and is still going on today. And I want to start with looking, Roman number one, the enemy's plan to usurp or steal authority from God. Let me start at the beginning. Genesis 1.1, God is spirit. And as spirit, God created both a spiritual realm and a physical realm. He created heaven and earth. Now, primarily God's characteristic, the primary characteristic of God is love. Now, think about it. In order for there to be love, 
you need someone to love. It's like the old, I'm dating myself, 1967, Jefferson Airplane. Don't you want somebody to love? Don't you need somebody to love? Wouldn't you love somebody to love? You gotta find somebody to love. Now that's 40 years, but a lot of people still know that song. Why? Because it's a universal longing of every human heart to find somebody to love and to be loved. And so God created beings. He's spirit. He created beings both for heaven and earth that he could love. In the heavenly realm, he created angels. In the physical realm, he created mankind, human beings, men and women. He created them both. Now think about love. For there to be true love going on, it has, there has to be a choice to love. I can't go up and, and grab, you know, Ashton by the, the shirt. You say, you better love me. <laughs> you can't make someone love you. Love is a choice. And so God gave both angels and human beings. By the way, if I go too fast, you've got notes, all right? God gave both angels and human beings the choice, free will, to love or to not love, to obey or to not obey. And he also created these beings, Genesis 1, I think it's 26, he created them in his image. He said, let us make man in our image, father to the son, okay? Let us make man in, in the image of God. Now, Scripture says in the New Testament that Jesus is the express image of God. So God created human beings basically, more or less, in the image of Jesus. And he created angels the same way. That's why in the Old Testament or in throughout the Bible, people could come across an angel and not know it was an angel until something happened. Why? It's because angels and human beings look somewhat the same. They have two eyes, two ears, so on. And so he created these beings to love and to experience the ability to love him back. And so he created them. And it appears to me, paragraph B, that there, are three, there were three top angels in heaven. Three angels, and they're the top angels, I'm assuming, because they're the only three angels in the Bible that have a name, were named. There's Gabriel, there's Michael, and then the Hebrew Hillel ben Shachar, which is most commonly translated, the third top angel was Lucifer. Now that's found over in Isaiah later on. Three top angels. And one of these angels became jealous of God. Lucifer became jealous of God and he saw God having all this glory and authority in heaven. And he got jealous. He said, I think I, I, want, to have, I want to be like God. I want the glory. I want to receive the same glory that God's getting. The picture yourself kind of from the point of Lucifer. Has anyone ever read the book or this, uh, this Present Darkness or the book Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis? These are very revealing works. They're not scripture, but they're literature where they help you see from the perspective of the evil kingdom, the enemy's kingdom. And so taking that position Lucifer's looking, he's in heaven, he's one of the top angels, he's really close to God. He goes, I, I see down on earth, you made these human beings, and he's looking at Adam and Eve, and Genesis 1.26, I think it says, he says, God gave Adam and Eve dominion, authority over planet earth. And, and he's like, well, you know, I think I want, authority too. I want glory too. So I think I've kind of come up with the plan here. But look in your notes there. Psalm 115 kind of helps explain this truth. It says the heaven, 
It, this, the truth that God gave authority, God's authority was in heaven. And then God gave his authority to mankind, to Adam and Eve, over to rule the physical part of his creation, which is earth. Look at that. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given, not to Lucifer, but to the children of men. So Lucifer's getting jealous up there and he's thinking, I want what, what you have, Lord, God, and I want to take it. I think I can take it from Adam and Eve. I think I can deceive them. I think I can trick them. And if I can trick Adam and Eve and mankind, then I can take control over them. Now logic here, if I can take control over them, then I can steal from them what they have. You see, see, Lucifer was understood. He was jealous of God, but he knew he couldn't directly attack God and steal glory from God. And he knew that he couldn't violate the rules God set up and go down to earth and just steal, take directly and steal the, the authority over the earth just by force. So he had to manipulate. He had to deceive. And so he thought, this is my plan. I think I can trick them. And we know that's exactly what Lucifer did. In uh, your, your notes here, his plan, I think it's, uh, well, maybe it's, I'm not sure where, paragraph, where, where are we? No, I think it's still, yeah, it's still in paragraph B. We see what he did. He went into the garden. He lied to Adam and Eve. He deceived them. And then he caused them to give in to deception. And he, uh, uh, by, by causing them, he deceived them to take and eat of one true tree in the garden that God forbade them to eat of. He lied to them. He deceived them. He said, God's not going to really be upset if you take of this, of this tree. And so what he did was he caused them to fall into temptation by taking of that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, some call it an apple we're not sure what the fruit was of the tree, but, but God, God forbade Adam and Eve strictly. He said, you can eat of any of the fruit of any other trees, but don't eat the fruit of that tree. And so I want to illustrate, I need, I need a tall tree there, all right? <laughs> Preemptive. If you can stand up there, tall tree. If you can hold out, maybe you can, maybe you can get down. Let's get down here. We, we can see that. Thank you, tall tree. Maybe you can get on the step and really be tall. All right. So he lies to them. He deceives them. They are responding. They lo it looks good. And he's saying, he's saying, you know, if you eat of this, that this is what Lucifer saying, you can know all these things. Can have this, you can be like God yourself. So they're tempted. Now remember, Adam and Eve have been given this, this ball represents God's authority, them. They have dominion over the earth. Now, the moment they look, they're tempted, the moment they give in to the temptation to take of that fruit, they lost their place of authority that God gave them. The moment they take of that temptation in deception, the moment they take of it, they fell because of sin. They fell from their place of glory. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and done what? Fallen short of the glory of God. You see, God gave them original. You can have this apple, Kyle, later if you feel led to. <laughs> A little risky maybe, but they, when they submitted 
they were giving up. That's why I had the ball, the ball drop was it was God-given authority that then allowed Lucifer to take control over Adam and Eve and then usurp or take from them the authority that God had given them. You see, they thought they were just giving into a temptation with lust and pride. But what they didn't realize was that they were falling in deception. I wonder what happened here. Getting choked. <laughs> they didn't realize they were falling in deception to the plan of an angel to steal authority from God. You know, when it said most of your Bibles, the beginning of Genesis 3, it says the fall of man. It doesn't mean they tripped in the garden. It means they fell from their place of glory and of destiny and of authority. And so there's a lesson for us. Some of you may look at that and think, now why? Why would they do that? Why would they give up authority over the earth for a piece of fruit? I mean, we, we think about that. You know, that's, that doesn't seem very smart, especially like an apple. I mean, apples are good, but I'm not that crazy about apples. But I would give up my whole, I mean, my mom, for Christmas, there would be apples in my stocking at Christmas. And I'm thinking, let me get to the good stuff in the stocking. <laughs> so we think, why would they do that? Why would they fall for that? Except, listen now, every time you and I fall into deception, to temptation, and we give in to temptation, we ourselves are relinquishing our God-given authority to walk in victory. Every time. He, the enemy has no original authority. He only has stolen authority. So every time we give in to temptation and sin, we're allowing the enemy to take the God-given authority that God called us to walk in. So think about that. Let the Lord use that. Let that sink in the next time you're tempted. You think, you know, when I give into this, I'm, I'm, I'm living lower than what God intended me to live. I'm living with less authority. And I, I don't, I'm not saying that um, this is, that you're evil if you have an Apple iPhone, but if you put up the logo of the Apple, the Apple logo, everyone knows what the logo looks like. And, uh, and so that is a reference to the original sin in the garden. They bite the apple because they, they, it, it represents knowledge, right? You buy, it, that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like I'm saying, I'm not, I'm not saying you're, you're evil, evil if you have a phone. I'm not saying you're even any evil. But, but when you think about it, that's why they made that logo like that, is we take the bite. And, it, and we think about it, it is very tempting to see how much knowledge is at your fingertips, right? Wouldn't you agree? Lots of knowledge. I mean, you know, example, what's the capital of Indonesia? Jakarta is the capital of Indonesia. Let's see another one. How awesome am I? I don't know what that means. <laughs> How awesome am I? Interesting question. Okay, see, it doesn't even lie. It doesn't even lie to you. It doesn't even flatter you. But that's how much is available. You know, we, we get tempted. You know, now we want to learn things. We want to know things. So there's nothing sinful about that. But just understand this is something that what happened when this happened in the garden is that now the enemy said, I can take control. And he began to take away that authority. And, and Satan became, as it were, the God of this world. He basically was saying, 
God, you can have heaven and I'll take earth. You know, and, and you can't, and here was how the Lucifer was thinking. He thought, well, you set it up this way that man, Adam and Eve had this authority. And if I can trick them, I can take it. God, you're not going to break your rules and just come back and steal, take it from me. Because you gave it to human beings. You see? Now, the moment that that angel, Lucifer, deceived Adam and Eve, he went from being a good angel to being a bad angel. He went from being a, a good angel. In the beginning, God created only good angels. But he went from a good angel to a bad angel. And the Hebrew word for enemy, he became the enemy of God. He became your enemy and my enemy. And the Hebrew word for enemy is Satan. So he became Satan. And he thought he had this great plan going on. He thought, God, you can't step in. You made the rules. Uh, You're in a sense locked out of the earth because I can keep tempting human beings to react in pride and lust. Because if I could tempt Adam and Eve and get them to fall, I think I can get anybody to fall into sin. And so he thought he had his plan all wrapped up. I can be like the most high God. But God had an answer. God had a response. His response was, you're right, Satan. I made the rules this way. I gave this authority to man and you took it from them by tricking them but I'm not going to violate my rules, but Satan, there is coming one day a man, a man from the bloodline of Adam and Eve, a man from the human race who is not going to give in to your temptations. He's not going to give in to sin. There's coming a man, a savior, who's going to face you down and he's going to crush your head And he is going, because he's a human, he's going to face you down. He's not going to give in to sin. He's going to crush your head and he's going to take back the authority that God gave man. There's coming a man. Now here's the wild thing. Satan doesn't know who that man is and he doesn't know when it's going to happen. He's wondering. But all he knows is it's going to be a male and it's going to come through the bloodline of Adam and Eve. So you can start putting some of these pictures up. Roman numeral three, Satan thought, "Uh uh-oh, there's a man coming. Well, he must be the firstborn son of Adam and Eve. So he looks at the, the son Cain on the left, Abel on the right. But Cain has already been prone to sin. He didn't give the right offering. You can look that up later. Abel, on the other hand, on the right, you know, he could be that one. So what did Satan do? Did Satan kill Abel? No. Satan had Cain kill Abel. Because Satan would have been violating God's rules if this created angel could just come down and kill the other part of the creation directly. You see? So he, so he influenced Cain had already given in to sin, prone to sin. He influenced Cain to then kill Abel. But that didn't stop the growth of the, of the people. There was through Cain's line and then more children were born. But look at these verses to show you what, they're, they're in your notes there on the bottom in the, of Roman numeral two. As I thought it'd be good to show some scriptures along the way. Genesis 3.15, this is talking about this coming Savior. And this is the her seed there. It's talking about Eve, her seed, her offspring. He, it's a capital H in your Bible, so we know it's Jesus. He shall crush your head, Lucifer, and you shall bruise his heel. Romans 16.19 in the New Testament. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. 
So ultimately, Satan has not been completely crushed, but his ultimate destiny is to, be go, to head to the lake of fire. But, but the coming Messiah is going to be the one who will crush his head. How many of y'all are with me so far? Okay. If not, you can process as we go. But So he's on this. Satan is now saying, all right, the most important people that I need to stop on the earth are people through the bloodline of Cain, Adam and Eve and Cain, and so on. And so we look ahead, fast forward uh, a couple thousand years, but Satan's plan, think about now, between that time and Abraham for a thousand, couple thousand years, Satan has this plan. I'm going to get men and women, mankind, to give into temptation and sin. And as long as I, they give into sin, I can control them. And then I can stay as, as it were the God of this world. So things are going along well for the enemy until Abraham comes along. Abraham is a true believer. Genesis 15, Abraham is given a covenant by God that through Abraham's seed or lineage, the Savior is coming. And so, if you can put up this little graph here, this is what the enemy is facing of Abraham and then his, uh, his offspring. So, what Satan is looking for is he's looking to stop either through sin or through uh, causing other people to kill the good people, you see, he's trying to stop. And so he's like, all right, go after Abraham. I can't, can't get him. Okay, go. it's not him. Okay, it's not Isaac. That's his son. Okay, then he has a grandson. He has Isaac and Esau. He's a, then he has a grandson, Jacob. He tries to get Jacob and see if it's Jacob. He can't get to him. Then he's got 12, Jacob has 12 sons. Now, for reasons I'm not going to go into for the sake of time, the lineage of the Savior comes through the fourth son in line, and that's Judah. Because you had, first you had, you had Reuben, and he gave in to sexual sin. And then you had Shimon, and he gave in to murder. Okay, so there was sin going on. But the fourth great-grandson great of Abraham was Judah. And Judah did something that was a, like a foreshadowing of Jesus. Judah learned the principle of substitutionary punishment. Judah said, I'll go to prison for my little brother Benjamin. And so because Judah had learned this principle, that's what Jesus did. He was punished on the cross as our substitute. So God says through scripture, through prophecy, this, the man coming, Satan, to throw you off the planet, the man coming to crush your head, he's coming and he's coming through Judah's lineage. So Judaism, Judah, Judaism, is the Jewish people. And so from that time on, even up to today, Satan's strategy to the Jewish people is either get them to, into deep sin or cause the nations of the world to hate them and try to kill them. Because back in that day, it was, man, the one who's going to throw me off the planet's coming through Judah's line. Y'all follow the logic there? And so let's fast forward. Uh, paragraph D, I think it is. No, I think my notes are wrong. Is it? Yeah, D. Pharaoh, by this time, it's been a number of, of centuries. And D, it's on the second page. Pharaoh tries to kill all the Hebrew male children in Egypt. Now stop and just think about this. With all the children being born over those centuries, there were now a million Jews and they were all in Egypt. Okay? Now, the enemy, Satan, is going, who is it? There's so many males. There's so many, I know, 
What, Pharaoh came up with a plan because Satan inspired Pharaoh to come up with this plan. Now, what was Pharaoh's plan? Kill them all. Because we got to be able to get one of them. If, if, they're, if they're somewhere in that country, the lineage, and, and he's alive on the earth right now, let's kill them all. So again, see, Satan is like an, a crime boss in the mafia. Serious. The crime boss doesn't do the murder directly. He gets the people under him, the soldiers, to commit the murder. Because he knows if he directly killed someone, he'd get destroyed by God. So he influenced Cain to kill Abel. And now he influences Pharaoh to say, kill all the Hebrew baby boys. From two years and under, I think it was at the time. And he tells, he orders the midwives in Egypt, get them all killed. Well, the midwives, I love this in the Bible. The midwives feared the Lord over Pharaoh. And so they kind of worked out a deal and they, they say they spared some of those, the, the Hebrew boys and, and they were telling Pharaoh and the leaders, well, we just can't, we just, these Hebrew women are so healthy, they give babies so fast, we can't stop them. So Pharaoh's like, well, I got to come up with another plan. So then he orders his second plan to try to, try to wipe out all the Jewish boys is to order that all the baby boys born to the Hebrews be thrown into the Nile River. Now, let me stop there and say this. Was this just anti-Semitism? Now, this is anti-Semitism, isn't it, right? A, an Egyptian leader saying, kill Jewish boys. But can I suggest to you that it's something deeper? That the force behind anti-Semitism is the devil wants to stop the coming of the Savior. Amen. That's what's behind this. Stop the Savior. Because why? When the Savior comes, he gets kicked off the planet. That's his plan. And let me just stop right there and say I'm, I'm getting ready to close. It's not going to be that much longer, but it's 11.50 right now. Right now, this moment. If at this very moment, every human being on the planet just said no to Satan and his temptations, every, if everyone said no to Satan right now in this moment, he would be kicked off the planet right now. Because he only derives power when we give in to his temptations. So, here's this Savior coming. When's he coming? When's he coming? We fast forward up to paragraph E to 2,000 years ago, the beginning of the New Testament, the New Covenant. Jesus and John the Baptist are born. Now, now let me, the, back on the Nile River, you know, the throwing the babies, the Lord, it looked like the Jewish babies were going to all get killed. The Lord spared them. And then that's where Moses was found in the Nile, Right? Okay, so now we fast forward. Jesus and John the Baptist are born. And the wise men come after they're born. And this is really sad. And it's really sad as I studied it out. The wise men come and they have a prophecy that says the Savior has been born. Again, does Satan know who it is? No one told him who it was. And that, that's a little lesson for us. Satan can't read your thoughts. He's trying to find out who it is. So we tell Satan too much with our mouth. <laughs> so if we don't, he, doesn't, he can't read your thoughts. So don't, don't give him stuff that he, you don't want him to know about. Okay? So he's like, okay, the Savior's been born at that moment, when the, the, the Magi, the wise men give that, give that prophecy, forget everybody else. I mean, he still hates everybody. But top on his list is we need to put a hit out on whoever this one born is. Where's he been born? Where, what city? So they look in, they ask around, and they find out it's in Micah 5, verse 2. The Savior will be born out of Bethlehem. So his thought, what's his plan? Wipe all the babies out 
the male babies from Bethlehem. Just like Pharaoh's plan, same old plan. So he inspires, Satan influences King Herod to put out a decree to kill all the born, the, the young baby males in Bethlehem. All of them. It's called the killing of the innocents in history. God's so merciful and God's going to see to it that Jesus was not killed. Though he was born in Bethlehem, Jake, Joseph was warned in a dream by an angel, get out of there and go, go away. And so again, Satan is thinking 99% chance I got the savior. I killed him because I had Herod do this order killing all the, the babies. So 99% chance in Bethlehem, if every child in Bethlehem, I've been to Bethlehem, it's a pretty big city, but you can pretty much find all the male. But can you show that picture of the, the killing of the innocents? It's the mom off with the, by the stairs. Yeah. So that's a little bit of a picture of that. So Jesus goes, the, Joseph and Mary get Jesus out of there. Then 30 years later, we're kind of getting close here. 30 years later, a man comes along from the tribe of Levi and John the Baptist. John says, get ready. This is it. The Savior's coming. This man coming who's going to crush Satan's head. He's coming. Prepare Matthew 3. Prepare the way of the Lord. He's coming. He's coming. And so Satan's going, who is he? Where is he? John the Baptist starts preparing the way. He starts baptizing people in the Jordan River because people are, are repenting of sin. And then John baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River. Satan's watching this. Scripture says, a voice came from heaven. This, from the Father in heaven. This, this one is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Then John the Baptist himself says, behold, this one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now it's go time. He knows, Satan knows, okay, this is him. It's this Jesus out of Bethlehem, out of Nazareth. It's this one. Let's get him. Let's get him. What's Satan's main plan to stop people from defeating him? Sin. So Jesus isn't even dry yet from being baptized from the Jordan. He's not even dry yet. And he says, he comes in, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And for 40 days, Satan tests him, tempts him, tries to get him to sin because he knows if I can get Jesus to sin, then I still have power and authority. Jesus doesn't give in to sin. Jesus faces him down and says, it is written. Jesus did what every one of us can do when we're tempted by the enemy. He just said no to the devil. That's what he did. And so if you and I, you know what? That's another lesson for us. When the enemy comes to try to tempt you, just say no right then. Just cut him off right in the middle of, your, of his sentence. Well, you know, uh, Tysa, I think, you know, no. Well, what if you, no. I had a doctor one time was very mean to me. I wanted to get around doctor's orders. And I said, well, what if I can just, and he said, no. I said, well, how about if I, he said, no. So I guess I was the devil in that illustration. I don't know. But know that, know that what Jesus did was what any of us can do. He said no to the temptation of the enemy. And so now we know kind of from that point on, Jesus left the wilderness temptation in the power of the spirit. He walked in victory for three and a half years 
Jesus goes around healing the sick, casting out demons, <laughs> proclaiming the gospel. Satan can't touch him. He's like, I could get everybody else. I can't get this guy. I can't kill him. I can't tempt, get him to sin. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's got all this great following. And then inexplicably, Satan's going, what is going on? Satan is able to talk Judas into getting him, Jesus arrested. And he's like, how, how, did, how am I able to do this? What Satan doesn't realize, it's part of God's substitutionary plan to get Jesus to be killed so that he can substitutionarily shed his blood and take on the punishment for all of mankind. So we could be forgiven of our sin and given new life and we can have salvation. So he had to have Satan kill him on the cross for that. But did, let me stop and say this very important point. Jesus allowed himself to be crucified. Jesus allowed the troops to take him captive when Judas betrayed him and take him off to Pilate. You, you know how we know that? I think your scripture's in the notes. Jesus, before the troops are ready to take him and arrest him, Jesus stands up and says, I am he. They all fall over. You don't think Jesus had the power to, to, to defeat all those guards? Certainly he did, but it was part of God's plan. So Jesus goes to the cross. He's killed. Satan is partying, right? We did it. We got him. Woo! And his disi Jesus' disciples are crying. Oh no, what's happened? You see, Satan's trying to figure it out. And he, I think he probably thought, and I think Judas probably thought, well, maybe Jesus gave in to pride. And that's why he got crucified. You know, he was starting so well, the chief priests basically said Jesus was, had pride because they said he thinks he's God. So that was what they were suspecting, but that wasn't the case. So Jesus is in hell and Satan's thinking, we've got it. I get to be God of this planet for the rest of the time. And they're all looking, they're, the disciples are crying and we know what happens next. And I, and I can't really dramatize this as much as what I'm going to do. And we're about five more minutes, if that's okay. Five minutes over. Rachel, if you guys could, could come up. Could you, worship team? I want to play from an album by a, a recording artist in the 80s named Carmen. Yes. Anybody know Carmen? Yes. He got saved at an Andre Crouch concert. Carmen wrote a song called Sundays on the Way. Now, I know this is kind of maybe cheesy for some of you, and, but he does this live in concert and he's describing Satan. Jesus has been crucified and Jesus is in the tomb. He's described and he's in hell. You know, Jesus is in hell preaching. <laughs> Satan's calling the, the head of the grave He's kind of nervous because it's like two days have gone by and how's this guy doing? So at, at three minutes and 40, we're going to watch this for about a minute and 10 seconds, but I want you to, I, I want is it ready to go? Because go ahead and get it going. Sunday morning, we'll the we'll, we'll, jump. We'll feel the pull. Ready to blow a fuse. He was shaking from the tips of his pointed ears to the toes of his pointy shoes. He said, Grave, tell me. Is he alive? I don't want to lose my neck. Graves said, your evilness, maintain your cool. Devil, you are a wreck. <laughs> Graves said, cool your jets, big D. My sting is still intact. You see, Jesus, he is dead forever. Take it from the grave, brother. He ain't never coming back. So just um, mellow out, man. Just go drink up or shoot up. But look, devil, just leave old grave alone. Hello, homie. Man, I'll catch you later. 
hear that cheer, that was live. And it's like, that's, sometimes we lose that, that thing. I'm not saying we got to get emotional all the time, but Satan has been defeated. Yeah. He, he, he's restored back, God has restored back to us the authority that we got lost in the garden that through Adam and Eve, we now have, now, now God's plan, remember I said at the beginning, he is love. And so to have love, you need people to partner with. He created us to do this together with him. So Jesus, you, you know, we might have said, well, Jesus, okay, you, you rose from the dead. You won. Now you take it from here because we messed up. But Jesus is like, no. We're going to do this together. And so in Matthew 28, Jesus, after preaching 40 days after being resurrected, Jesus says, now listen what he says, Matthew 28, 18. All authority has been given to me, listen, in heaven and in earth. See, before the authority was in Satan's hands that he stole now Jesus took it back. But Jesus doesn't say, I'll take it from here, humans. He says, I'm going to give you. All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. I'm going to give to you authority. Luke 9 and Matthew 10, to cast out demons, to cure diseases, to make disciples of all nations. And lo, I'm with you always. Terry, you've got authority tread on serpents and scorpions. Let's stand up with him. He's been entrusting us with this gospel, with this commission now for 2,000 years. It started with 12. It started then at Pentecost, 120. Then 3,000. Then 5,000. And now all over the earth, billions of people have come into a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Because you and I took the authority of the name of Jesus, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit, to carry out the gospel. And when all nations have received, had had a chance to receive, that Jesus is coming back again, and then speed up through end time theology, one, the day is coming, Satan is going to be thrown into the lake of fire off the planet for good. So you and I are to be involved now in this great commission. If you have in in your notes there, I'm just going to, there's some responses that I'd like you to consider when you go home and look at them. But I think right now the the big sense I have is now that we see the glory and the authority that has been restored to us, I believe the Lord wants to give us a fresh resolve today to resist sin. Fresh resolve. If you have even today been convicted of an area fallen short. There's mercy today. There's grace today. Just ask God to forgive you. You may say, well, it's a familiar temptation. It it trips me up. Well, I just want to pray for for all of us as as we close. I want to pray the Lord will show us what's at stake show us first that we have power and authority to resist it that he'll show us the glory and authority that we can walk in if we'll say no to it so Holy Spirit I ask now that as you've given us revelation that we would go forth from this place clean washed 
and empowered. Just lift your hands if you would right now by faith. Just open your hands. Holy Spirit, I ask for power to be victorious over sin. James 4.7 says, Submit to God. Our hands are up. Submitted. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. time that temptation comes. The Lord's giving some of you a plan right now to overcome that temptation. Right now, He's giving you a plan. Well, that familiar thing's going to come. What am I going to do different? Thank you. Some it's a temptation to speak